We talk a lot of Miami and remember a legend. That's unlocked on ACC. Next. Welcome to Locked on ACC. It is Friday, June 19th, 2020. A joyous Juneteenth to you all. I'm Brian Wilmer. Told you we talk a lot of Miami on this program, and we will. Before we get to any of that, though, again, welcome. It is Friday, June 19th. We tell you on this show how to contact us at the end of every program, and sometimes before the end of every program. And today we're going to go into a listener email because it's an important one. I think it's a pretty good one, actually, and I like healthy debate. So we'll have a healthy debate on today's program. Before we do, though, since I mentioned we're going to talk a lot of Miami today, I found a bonus clip I wanted to share with you. It's something from the 2018 ACC Operation Basketball. I had the pleasure of being around a table where Jim Laranega talked about Tony Bennett, about the genesis, I guess, of the pack line and about UVA's defense. It's a very, very fun three minutes or so. So I wanted to share that with you right here on Locked on ACC. So defensively, do you want a clinic? I mean, the, de- defensively, you have choices. Uh, do you pressure and deny passes? So if you are pressuring and denying passes, uh, the man with the ball and his receiver, there's a defensive player who's on the line of the ball to the receiver, on the line and up the line. So you're up in the passing lane. Is this what the people? Pack line you're talking no, would you wait and let me? This is the, this is the genesis of the pack line, right? <laughs> up the line is you're denying the pass. Okay. So you're up the line and on the line. You're pressuring everywhere, and your goal is to force turnovers. Dick Bennett made a career on the up the line and on the line defense, probably forcing more turnovers and winning more games, including beating the University of California with Jason Kidd in the NCAA tournament back whenever that was. That's why I don't get the years right. In his last year or two at uh, Green Bay, Dick made an adjustment in his defensive approach and went to the pack line defense, which is no longer are we up the line and on the line, but we are taking the defense because of the three-point line. We're going to pack in within the three-point line so that we can prevent penetration. We do not want the ball getting inside of our defense. So everybody is in the help position. It's called early help. So the difference is now, instead of between being between the ball and the receiver, you're between the ball and the basket. He took that philosophy to the University of Wisconsin and won the Big Ten, went to the Final Four, and retired. He then left retirement to go to the University of Washington. Tony was his then his assistant. Washington, or Washington State. Oh, Washington State. I'm sorry, Washington State. I don't know. Finally caught you. <laughs> he went to Washington State University and brought back the pack. Tony was his assistant, his associate head coach, and the two of them built a, a great program. 
Dick then retired for the second time. Tony was given the head coaching job, and he became the national coach of the year. He was then hired at the University of Virginia, where he has now established himself as one of the very best college basketball coaches in the country, winning at a very, very high level. Just an outstanding clip there from Jim Laranega. And again, the education is the best part of all of it. When you're a basketball geek and you have the ability to sit there and listen to a coach break down the way a defense works or break down you know, a coach's mindset or something like that. I, I'm a coach myself. I come from coaches. It's just how I think. So fun clip there from Jim Laranega. Like I mentioned, we'd be talking a lot of Miami stuff today, and we will. I wanted to share with you an email that I got. Uh, and again, you can email us anytime, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. This from Chris Wilson I wanted to pass along. It says, hello, I listened to your podcast last night for the first time uh, that covered the Miami Hurricane schedule. I admit that there may be some homer bias, but I was surprised to hear your assessment about the team. In particular, your view that it is possible that the Canes could go into their last game at Duke on a six-game losing streak and that the addition of De'Eric King won't make that much of a difference to the success of the team. I want to pause here because... One thing I do want to add about De'Eric King, I mentioned that I didn't know that he would make that much of a difference taking them from where they were to the projected nine-win team that was out there. That's just one guy. I don't know that one guy can make that much of a difference. He is a difference maker. I don't know that he's that much of a difference maker, and I should clarify that point. So thanks for calling me on that one. Continuing, he says, this team has addressed every glaring roster issue that it faced last season, First, the team recruited King, who is on virtually every top 15 Heisman contender list that you can find for this upcoming season. For you say that uh, adding a Heisman contender who also happens to play the most important position in the game uh, won't make that much of a difference is surprising to say the least. And and again, I did clarify that a minute ago. They also took on several offensive linemen, including top recruit Isaiah Walker and instant starter at tackle Jared Williams, although both joined after the date of your podcast, in addition to recruit Jalen Rivers, one of the top linemen last recruiting cycle, on top of all six linemen who saw the most snaps last season returning for this season. The team added Quincy Roche, the top defensive end last season next to Chase Young based on PFF metrics, and that's that's another point that I'll bring up in a minute. Uh, Roche is a difference maker on defense. The team also added kicker Jose Borregales. It's no secret that Miami lost two to three games last season due to putrid field goal kicking. See the North Carolina game, the Georgia Tech game, as two that immediately come to mind. Add on top of this the fact that they brought in a new offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley from SMU, who led that team to one of the most dynamic offensive outputs last season, a new offensive line coach in Garen Justice, and a new receivers coach in Rob Likens, and you had a team that's poised to break out. That's why Vegas odds at the over-under on this team pegged it at nine wins. The ESPN prediction system is flawed in that it's too backward-looking and doesn't account for the developments in both the transfer portal and coaching front that I've listed above. Vegas odds are necessarily forward-looking. I would respectfully ask that you correct the record about this team when you're able. This team will win nine to ten games and go to the Orange Bowl. Looking forward to listening to your podcast in the future now that I'm subscribed. Best, Chris. All right, before we go forward, a couple of quick things. First of all, Chris, thank you so much for the email. I appreciate your doing that. Uh, I appreciate your points. I appreciate the fact that you actually went to the trouble of researching those points and you know bringing a little bit of actual analysis with you. I always appreciate that. Let me tell you something very quickly about myself. I am, if nothing else, a horrendous prognosticator. I freely admit this. Uh, I don't ask anybody to come to me for any kind of prognostications on anything because I will inevitably be incorrect. Just kind of a a long-running thing with me. I do have concerns about Miami, particularly, as you mentioned, kind of backward-looking. There are some forward-looking things, though. I mean, I I think, honestly, 
you kind of have to see your history to know where you're going, and that applies to so many things. But you do bring up some good points about how history may be changing a bit at Miami. So that's that's fair, and I want to acknowledge that. Also, something else about me, I love debate. I do. As long as it's reasoned, it's logical, it's not just pointing fingers, it's not just yelling at people, it's not just you know calling names. The way Chris approached it is the way we should all approach it if we're going to debate something with someone. It's very calm, very rational, very facts-based, nothing personal. I appreciate that, Chris, so thanks for uh, approaching it that way. So if you ever hear anything on this program that you want to debate, that you want to discuss, do it in that manner. That's a pretty solid template on how to do it. I'll also say that we may look back at the end of the season and find out that you were right. We may look back at the end of the season and find out that I was right. Realistically, it's not about who's right here. Um, it's not about you know my taking credit if they only win five games. I tend not to do that. We, we haven't had a show where we've you know, been able to look back at any predictions we've made and talk about how right they were, or how wrong they were, or anything like that. I just wanted to let everybody know ahead of time, I am not that guy. I'm not going to go back and say, well, hey, you know, I, I predicted five wins, and boy, was I on the mark. If I'm wrong, I'll wear it. Again, as long as it is not personal, let's have some fun with it. Just, you know, if Miami wins nine or 10 games, goes to the Orange Bowl, come back to me at the end of the season and say, wow, you were all over that one. And I'll probably laugh right there along with you. This is meant more for discussion's sake than for, you know, anything where I can get a hot take out there. That's, that's not why I'm here. I realized in the course of reviewing all this that I didn't really remember what I said about Miami's chances this year. That is going back over a month. A lot has gone on in the world over the last month, as we all know. So in the interest of fairness, coming up a bit later on here on the show, we're going to go back over what I said just because I need the refresher, quite honestly. So we'll go back over what I said here in just a minute. We'll take a look at what may have changed in that last month. A little bit of additional commentary for some additional breakdown of Miami. We'll do that coming up. First, I wanted to talk to you about Rock Auto. Rock Auto has been one of our new partners here on Locked on ACC and on the Locked on Podcast Network. Like I've said a number of times, I hope all of you are better at being car mechanics than I. I will freely admit I am not a uh, break-your-engine-down-and-rebuild-it kind of guy that is not at all my talent. You have to know your blind spots. That's one of my blind spots. But if you are one of those people and you want to be able to make those repairs cheaply and get a fair price, you can do it at rockauto.com. You know that if you go to any of those chain stores like Advance or AutoZone or any places like that, they're always going to have different prices for professionals and for the do-it-yourselfer like you who's just pulling their car in their garage and working on something. RockAuto.com has the same prices for everyone. They're reliably low. They're the lowest prices possible. They don't change prices based on what the market will bear. You don't have to have a membership or an account or anything like that. They're a family business. They've served customers online for 20 years. You can get auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers if you just go to RockAuto.com, look online. Everything you'll possibly need for that classic car you're trying to restore, or just for that little daily station wagon you're taking to the train station, whatever it may be, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks, and it's delivered directly to your door. As I mentioned before, prices are reliably low. They're the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. There's no need to spend up to twice as much for the same parts. If you go to rockauto.com right now, you can see everything available for your individual vehicle, 
When you get to the How Did You Hear About Us box, write in Locked On so they know we sent you there. Again, that is Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D space O-N in the How Did You Hear About Us box, and they'll know that we sent you over there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Continuing along here on Locked On ACC, it is June 19th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about Miami in the first segment. We'll continue to do so. We were listening back and reading back through a listener email. And again, thank you so much, Chris, for sending that in. I mentioned that I had forgotten what I'd said about Miami on our schedule preview, and I had. So with the help of technology, let's jump back a month or so, and let's revisit exactly what I did say about Miami on that May episode. Let's look at the over-under as Caesars projects it. Caesars has Miami at nine wins over under. Nine. That's a large number, especially when you consider what we just went through a minute ago as far as where ESPN has them in each game. So let's go ahead and look at where ESPN has them, what we think. Saturday, September 5th against Temple, ESPN says 81.9% for Miami. I like it closer than that, but Miami probably gets a victory. Saturday, September 12th, Wagner 99.6% for the Canes. Yeah, that should be a win. Thursday, September 17th, UAB 66.1% for the Canes. They should win that game. Should. Although Bill Clark is a great coach, he's going to have that club prepared. Saturday, September 26th, the ESPN sees a loss for Miami at Michigan State. Only 49.1% for the Canes. Saturday, October 3rd, Pittsburgh visits 62.4% are the Canes to win that game, according to ESPN. Friday, October 9th at Wake Forest, 47.7% for Miami. Saturday, October 24th, North Carolina visits 43.8% for Miami in that game. Saturday, October 31st at Virginia, 50.4%. Saturday, November 7th, Florida State, 35.2%. Saturday, November 14th at Virginia Tech, 16.2%. Saturday, November 21st at Georgia Tech, 39.4%. And then Saturday, November 28th, Duke at home, 64.3%. Now, I mentioned on this graphic that the ACC released, they have Miami third in the Coastal. Caesars has them at nine wins. ESPN, meanwhile, has has Miami six and six, three and five in the ACC. So you figure Temple, Wagner, UAB, I'm not so sure about Pittsburgh. I'm just not. I'm really not sure about Virginia. So if somehow they get tripped up by Virginia, which is still very conceivable to me, it's possible that the Canes could have a six-game losing streak going into the final game of the season. If that's the case, they could be 4-1 coming into that Wake Forest game and and 4-7 going into the final game against Duke. Is that likely? I'm not sure, but De'Eric King is not going to make that much of a difference in that team. We'll have to see, but if you're Miami, if you're looking at 4-8 and eight this season, when you get De'Eric King in there, I'm not so sure you're happy, especially after the way last year ended. They completely sputtered in that Independence Bowl game, and they would fall back from that performance, and at least a bowl game last year, to 4-8, and eight, or you know maybe, potentially, Five and seven, if that holds. I don't think if you're if you're Miami, I don't think you can fall off at all. I think you've got to show some sign of progression, especially getting Derek King in there. 
If you finish 5-7 and seven and don't go to a bowl, Manny Diaz is in trouble. Just saying. So obviously some wildly varying numbers on Miami. If you start looking around at people making projections and all that, it seems as though the ACC graphic and Caesars really like Miami. ESPN, not so much. So there's what I said a little over a month ago. Now, to be fair, and I think the only way we can really have these conversations is to be fair about them, uh, there were a lot of things that have changed since we had that conversation, as Chris pointed out. Again, I appreciate his fairness in doing so. Uh, We've had some players added to the Miami roster since then, so it's a little tough to talk about those guys when indeed they weren't part of the team when we had that discussion. If we take a look back through a couple of things that were pointed out regarding that schedule, first of all, the game at Michigan State, ESPN had that as a loss. It was a close loss. The thing that kind of concerns me is it seems as though whenever you're a team going on the road, in most cases where things are kind of a coin flip situation, usually the home team gets three points. Uh, It seems as though it's a close game on paper. Michigan State, certainly not what Michigan State has been. They went through a coaching change. We don't know what they're going to look like now with a new regime in place. There's a lot of unknowns around that Michigan State team, just as there are around Miami. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to figure out still. Miami can win that game. Whether they will or not, I'm not sure, but they can win that game. North Carolina, that's another team everybody seems really bullish on this year. I'm not sure how much of a leap Carolina makes. I mean, Carolina seems to be one of those darlings where, you know, we talked about teams going to nine wins from six and that sort of thing. Carolina, let's not let's not forget, Carolina finished the season six and six last year. They won a bowl game. They finished six and six. Which Carolina team do we see? Do we see the team that struggled through parts of last season? Do we see the team that basically blew everybody out at the end of the season? What do we see? So a lot of unknowns there. There are a lot of unknowns with Virginia. And I think people are unnecessarily tough on Virginia this year. Can Miami win at Scott Stadium? That's a question. I think Florida State, that's another team with a lot of questions. If Florida State is Florida State again, it's at Miami. But still, if Florida State is Florida State again, that's a tough matchup. They should beat Georgia Tech. They should beat Virginia Tech, I think. Although Virginia Tech is really tough and that's at lane. Georgia Tech is another team getting a lot of love this year. I'm just, I'm not sure it's their year yet. But there are a lot of unknowns. Now, to be fair, to bring up a couple of things, Chris mentioned De'Ara King. And let's go back through De'Ara King's statistics just to Again, emphasize a couple of things. Now, keep in mind, this was at Houston. Different situation than Miami, but King at Houston, 369 of 597, 61.8% completion percentage, just shy of 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, 10 picks. He started a little bit slower in his last season in 2019 before shutting it down, just 52.7% completion percentage, 58 of 110. I wonder how sitting out essentially a year and a half is going to affect King. He is very athletic. He's very dynamic. He's a small quarterback. Again, to be fair, he's 5'11", 195. How much of a big deal that makes in the ACC, I'm not sure, considering guys like Russell Wilson have had success in that league and have not been the most statuesque of quarterbacks. But we shall see. That is another thing to keep in mind. Mentioned Rhett Lashley, that being a key thing. Last year, SMU 13th in the nation in passing offense which is 
a pretty significant number. They were second in the American in total offense, 489.8 yards a game, just shy of UCF. Well, not just shy of UCF, but shy of UCF. UCF, about 540 and a half per game. But still, that's a fairly significant number when you're averaging 490 yards a game of total offense. How much of that translates to Miami, we'll have to see. I think there's reason to be optimistic if you're a Miami fan. I think there's reason to kind of take a wait-and-see attitude if you're a Miami fan. The point about kicking is a pretty well-made one, considering Miami was tied for 111th in the nation last year in field goal percentage, 60%. They were 13 of 20. Not many teams below them, obviously. And really, you can't go anywhere else but up when you consider that Miami kicking situation. And Borogales last year at FIU, 37 of 39 on extra points, 21 of 29 on field goals for his career, 131 of 134 on extras, 50 of 66 on field goals. So really anything is an improvement, particularly if Borogales is as good as he was at FIU. That would be a significant upturn for a Miami team who really operated on a razor-thin margin, particularly last year when you consider that kicking situation. So again, that's something to take into account. Then briefly, I wanted to share with you before we move on from Miami. And again, uh, thanks, Chris, for the email. I appreciate it. This from Fansided, pointing out something from 24-7 Sports, and, and this is Alan Rubenstein at Fansided, mentions that Miami football named an unranked team who should be top 25, says in an article published by 24-7 Sports on Friday, the Miami football team was named as one of their why these unranked teams should have cracked 24-7 Sports top 25. Any analysis of the Hurricanes being ranked in the preseason top 25 begins with quarterback De'Ara King. King significantly upgrades the Miami roster. Inconsistent quarterback play was one of the biggest weaknesses on the Miami football team in 2019. At times last season, Jaron Williams and Kosi Perry looked like they would break through and play at a level necessary for the Hurricanes to challenge to win the ACC Coastal. At other times, their play led to inexplicable losses. Very, very true. Temple graduate transfer defensive end Quincy Roche is to the Miami defense what King is to the Hurricanes offense. PFF graded Roche as the best returning edge rusher in the country in 2020. Roche joins the returning sack leader in the nation, Greg Rousseau, who had 15 and a half as a redshirt freshman in 2019. Miami's also made upgrades on the offensive line with transfer tackles, freshman Isaiah Walker, and grad transfers Jared Williams and kicker Jose Borgales. Borgales cannot be overlooked. Miami lost about three games in 2019 that a reliable kicker would have made the difference between winning and losing, says Rubenstein. Turn those games around in 2019 and the Miami football team would have finished 9-3 and instead of 6-6 and in the regular season. Lou Headley made a big difference for Miami in the punting game in 2019, and Borgala should have the same impact at kicker in 2020. The Hurricanes also signed the 13th-ranked recruiting class. Two quick comments on this, and then we'll, we'll move on. First of all, again, these points are well made, and all of this is fair. However, I'm always really hesitant about saying, well, if this happened, then this would have been a win. This wouldn't have been a win. I, I'm always really apt to tap the brakes about one play or one situation making a difference. Now, on the whole, if you'd had better kicking, sure, you'd probably win three more games. If you'd had better quarterback play, you'd probably win a few more games. I don't know if you can say, take this game and turn it around because of this one factor. I don't know if you can do that, but I think on the whole, if you make more broad general points about those positions, yeah, that's fair. Also, The numbers of ranks of recruiting classes 
I'm one of the few in this minority, but I don't really care about where a recruiting class is ranked. It doesn't make a bit of difference to me. Sure, they brought in a lot of talent. That's important. And I'll say this for any school. It is important to bring in talent. But it doesn't really do you any good if you keep bringing in these high-ranked recruiting classes and you don't develop them. I really want to see what Manny Diaz does with this class and what his position coaches do with this class. Again, he's got good coaches around him. I think he can develop them. But just trotting out the number that they've got the 13th-ranked recruiting class, you see schools that are in the top five every year and they don't win anything. These rankings of recruiting classes, there's... Not enough time in this program for me to go into those rankings, but I think on the whole, it's a fair point. And again, like I say, agreement is not required on this program. That's the first tenet of what we do. Agreement is not required. I live that in my everyday life. I live it here. So if you disagree with something, perfect. Let's talk it through. And we may get to the end of the season and Chris had the more valid point. If that's the case, that's the case. We may get to the end of the season and I had the more valid point. If that's the case, it's a case. But it's good that we can at least talk through these things and try and add some reason and some logic behind it. And thanks again, Chris. I appreciate the uh, email and I appreciate your listening. Coming up next here on Locked on ACC, I want to talk to you about remembering a legend. One of my favorite writers, one of my good buddies, wrote a great piece about remembering an ACC legend. I'll share that with you coming up right here on Locked on ACC. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why the Locked On hosts are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with the Locked On hosts, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Friends, let's talk about Built Bar. We've been telling you about Built Bar for quite a while now, and they've got all the reasons in the world you need to go make a purchase at BuiltBar.com. You can get up to 50% off everything they have. They also have some closeout flavors that you can take extra advantage of in terms of savings, peanut butter, banana, pineapple upside down cake, blueberry lemon, coconut pecan pie. It's all there for you if you want to try it at BuiltBar.com. Along with all of those additional savings, we can get you some additional money off as well. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and our promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. All thanks to listening to us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Along with that, Built Bar is doing its Listen, Learn, Love campaign. They are donating the profits, 100% of those profits, from 8 million of their bars in inventory to organizations that support education, poverty, equality, and ending hate and racism. You can go... Buy yourself some great tasting bars. Man, that peanut butter brownie sounds good right about now. And help to support these organizations as well if you go to BuiltBar.com. Again, go to BuiltBar.com and our promo code locked on. $10 off your first order along with all the other great savings going on right now over at BuiltBar.com. Continuing on Locked on ACC, it is June 19th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. Thanks for joining us. I wanted to share with you a piece from good buddy of mine, Todd Shaughnessy, who writes for the Spartanburg Herald Journal, Dave Dickerson, the USC Upstate basketball coach, a great man, very kind man. For those of you who have never had the chance to meet him, uh, just one of the best people I've had the privilege of knowing, and also a very good basketball player at Maryland in his own right. He tells the story of Len Bias through Todd, and it starts, it's been 34 years since number 34 died, June 19th, 1986, one of the most tragic days in sports history. USC Upstate men's basketball coach Dave Dickerson was there, and he still feels severe pain from when University of Maryland teammate Len Bias 
two days after being drafted second overall by the NBA champion Boston Celtics, suffered cardiac arrhythmia from an overdose of cocaine. Number 34, Dickerson said, Every time I see that number on a basketball player or a football player or a baseball player or anyone, I always think of him. And it's been 34 years now. That number, man. Bias certainly seemed to be the next great NBA player. His talent was being compared to Michael Jordan, who was drafted third overall by the Chicago Bulls two years earlier. Celtics president and general manager Red Auerbach, the team's legendary former head coach, had targeted Bias for about three years. Auerbach traded star player Gerald Henderson in cash to the Seattle Supersonics early in the 1984-85 season, he was a contract holdout at the time, for their first pick in 1986. Bias would be an incredible piece added to a roster that already included Larry Bird, Dennis Johnson, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, and Danny Ainge. Bias was there for Boston after the Cleveland Cavaliers chose North Carolina's Brad Darty. Auerbach and the Celtics were ecstatic. The next day, June 18th, Bias met with the media in Boston. Later in the evening, he was back on the Maryland campus. He was excited and we were excited for him, Dickerson said. He really loved his teammates and cared about his teammates. He really appreciated the excitement we felt for him. There was a party that night at Washington Hall, a brick dormitory with four white pillars at each of the three entrances. Bias lived in 1103. It was a big party, of course, a huge celebration. I was over there for a while, Dickerson said, but I had just finished my freshman year and all the undergraduates were in summer school. We had 8 o'clock classes the next day, so we didn't stay there through the night. At about 6.30 a.m., there was a knock on our door. It was one of our teammates. He said they were rushing Lenny to the hospital, so we got up and jumped in our cars and we practically followed the ambulance. When he was pronounced dead, we were all there. It was a shocking story nationwide, especially for Dickerson, a 19-year-old from the tiny town of Allar, South Carolina. I went to Maryland because it was a great opportunity for me, but also because of Lenny Bias, Dickerson said. I wanted to be around one of the best college basketball players in the country and to learn his work ethic and toughness on a daily basis. He was my idol and mentor. He was what I wanted to be. His death is still traumatic for me, and I'm 53 years old, continued Dickerson. You carry around scars in life. That's one of my biggest scars. I've lost my mom, I've lost my dad, I've lost one of my sisters, and I've lost two great friends who were in my wedding. But Lenny Bias is one of the biggest losses in my life. Everybody who was a teammate, everybody who was at the party that night, and everybody who was at the hospital in the morning will always have scars. Dickerson said he will never see Bias as anything other than a good person who made a bad mistake. The way that he died from a cocaine overdose and the kind of person he was are two totally different things to me, Dickerson said. There's nothing in my mind and body and soul that thinks of him in a negative way. There's nothing negative about him as far as I'm concerned. I know how he lived his life. It was not how he lived his last night. Dickerson keeps his deep scar mostly hidden. You can't really talk about Lenny Bias to your teams, Dickerson said. You can mention him and talk about saying no to drugs, but you can't say much else. They don't have an appreciation of how good he was, and I can't give that to them. That really hurts me. To this day, I haven't played or coached with or against a player who was better than him. I never played against Michael Jordan, but I've seen a lot of great players. There's no one who comes close to Lenny Bias. The younger generation will just never know. Aside from being a great player, he was a great leader and the hardest working guy on the team. He was everything. Dickerson, a former head coach at Tulane and assistant head coach at Ohio State, had been at three schools, Gardner-Webb, James Madison, and Radford, when he accepted a job at Marshall in 1996. After just six weeks there, he was back in College Park to interview for and soon accept an opening at Maryland. It was June 19th. Great story there, as usual, from Todd, and uh, just a, a life lost way, way, way too soon. I am in the camp that Coach Dickerson describes. I can't really fully appreciate how good Bias was, especially when you consider that Coach Dickerson played with him. It's, it's really easy to appreciate when you can see it day in and day out, see it in practice, see it in games. You're right there alongside it, and you can really appreciate how good he was. 
bias for his collegiate career, averaged 16.4 points a game. We don't have a ton of statistics on him because there were a lot of things that came along after he finished up his career in terms of advanced analytics, that kind of thing. But if you've ever seen highlights of the man, you know just how good he was. An incredibly, incredibly talented player. A transcendent player. His senior year as a Terrapin, he averaged 23.2 points a game, pulled down seven rebounds a game, had an assist a game, nearly a steal a game, (laughs) a half a block a game. Just an incredibly athletic and talented kid. Who knows how good it could have been in the NBA. The 30 for 30 about him was one of the more impactful ones I've ever watched. Just incredible storytelling. And again, it really, it's the story of an incredible loss because A, nobody should ever leave us that early. And B, you don't know just how good he could have been. The two situations aren't completely similar, obviously. But in terms of being left to imagine what one could have been, a lot of people are left to wonder what Bo Jackson could have been. We saw how good he was, but we don't know what he could have been. Len Bias, we saw how good he was, but we don't really know what he could have been. And again, two totally different stories other than that, but it does at least bring to mind just how fragile life is in general and how fragile sports lives are in particular when it comes to a career and the way it unfolds. Just a tragic story, but it is good to see, as it is with most things that I've ever talked about with Coach Dickerson, that he is carrying it forward and using it as an example, that he does keep that with him, that Bias never really died. He stays with Coach Dickerson. That's the story I wanted to share with all of you as we wind down this week and wind down this program here on Locked On ACC. Again, as we mentioned earlier in the program, we encourage you to contact us. We love to hear from you. You can tweet us at Locked On ACC. You can email us LockedOnACC at gmail.com. You can also tweet me individually. I am at Sports Matters. Again, you just heard. Listener feedback. We love to share it. We love to get it. So if you have anything you want to contribute, please do send it along. Also, if you find value in what you hear here, please like, rate, follow, share, and subscribe. The more you can get the word out, the better we can make this program, the more we know that we're doing the right thing. So we appreciate that. Also, if there's something that we need to do better, tell us that too. While you're doing all this, turn on your smart speaker, tell it to play the latest episode of Locked on NFL Draft, hear about your favorite team and all the things they're doing to make their team better this coming season. That's Locked on ACC for Friday, June 19th. I'm Brian Wilmer. Thanks so much for joining us. Until we meet again, love y'all.